So I'd like to offer a few reflections this morning. Um, it's not a shift in instruction. Our instruction is as given yesterday, the looking into the anatta, the not me, not mine. And I want to offer a few reflections um, to, to offer some perspective for you to consider as you practice with not me, not mine. And a little bit the relationship of how the practice of not me, not mine is intimately connected with the deepening of compassion. So on a very basic level, and profound level actually, basic and profound right at the same time, you can probably all see and have seen, and we have to see it over and over again and over and over again, how taking hold of anything as me or mine is dukkha, is suffering, actually. The Buddha said, nothing or no thing whatsoever should be clung to as I or me or mine. No thing whatsoever. And yet we see, of course, that knee-jerk response to the clinging and the taking hold, and that doesn't make us wrong. We have to be really careful in this practice that when we see the taking hold and we see the grabbing on, that that isn't food for our inner critic. I mean, it might be, but, you know, it's for our inner critics like, oh, now you're not a very good Buddhist meditator, not very deep. You're still clinging to I, me, and mine. Anyone had any thoughts like that arise? Or ways they may not even be thoughts, but some kind of energetic harshness that's like, you know, pushing us, hardening us. We have to understand this process of clinging. Yes, we let go of it when we can, of course. Who wants to suffer if we really understand what's happening here? One of the ways we can look at the Four Noble Truths, the Four Ennobling Truths, in the second truth when the Buddha says, there's a cause for suffering and the cause is clinging. Let go of it. There's an imperative there, which is, yes, let go of it, but to understand the cause of suffering means to understand it, to really understand from all angles, all lenses, what is really going on here. To understand that process at times means to stand with, to stand under that moment when we see ourselves in that grip of that something we've just clung to, that self-image. I'm useless. I'm great. I'm bad. I'm whatever it is. To stand there, to understand it. And a couple of people spoke in the interviews, a few of you actually, in the relation to the dukkha practice as we were moving to the anatta, of finding oneself in the grip of those contractions, which can feel very physical sometimes, as well as, oh my God, just a lock, I'm locked in somehow. Hanging out, feeling the aversion, feeling the pushing, hanging out, resting with, etc. And at some point, something goes, oh, 
and a few of you mentioned that the heart came in and some tears happened. Some tears happened and it's like, ah. Oh. Something started to relax and then something started to be both understood and opened to. So a few of you spoke about that. So yes, we're practicing seeing things as not me, not mine, because this is a way, a skillful, kind and compassionate way to not suffer, actually. Born out of compassion, probably we have little threads of mixed motivation. Motivation isn't a constant, isn't a self either. Like I mentioned the other night, of course, some of you, or some of you, sometimes it's, yes, I'm open to the whole thing, you know, show me the truth. And sometimes it's, I want to get rid of my mind. I want to stamp on those thoughts. Right? Oh, no, I'm open to the whole thing, let me see reality. Oh, yeah, but this bit's really horrible, I hate this bit. Right? It changes. And when the threads of the motivation of wanting to get rid of our mind, ourself, are mixed in with the anatta practice, of course, there will be hardening, um, rigidity, pressure, suffering. <clears throat> Rob talked about the kink in the carpet yesterday. I like that metaphor a lot. Another friend of mine, he said he practiced a lot in... in uh, India and Thailand, you know, and some real things had been seen and understood, and he came back to England, and he went to one of those village fairs, you know, in the summer or something, and they had this game. In America, I don't know what it's called in English, we've got a name for it, in America it's called Whack-A-Mole, where these little moles, and they're not real moles, thank God, <laughs> <laughs> they're like... Uh, I think you can do it two ways. I think in England, the rudimentary is like a piece of gutter with this sort of t piece of stocking in it stuffed with something and it comes down and you kind of whack it when it comes through the drain pipe. You never go to fairs? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, in America, it's, it's like they're popping up here like that and you have to get them as quick as you can, how fast your reflex. And he said he went to the fair and he went, oh my God, that's what I've been doing in my practice. He said something would show up and it would be, all right, not so. Not so. And he said, that's what I was doing in my practice. He got a real shock. Realisation came in the village fair. But he suddenly, it, it kind of um, sobered him up, actually, of, oh my goodness, there's more for me to see here. What have I been doing with my mind? So that's not at all the intention, but at times we may notice that. So, again, we're not giving ourselves a hard time about that. But to get clear, oh, that's what's going on here. That's why it starts to feel a little hard in here, and I lose the, that beautiful abiding I've been cultivating the first seven days. Not that the feeling has to stay the same, but something in the opening of it. can sometimes be that it's not that you're whacking the arisings. <clears throat> sometimes can be like kind of lasering them down, it's like sharpshooting. You know, the consciousness is sharp, the mind is sharp, it's like, phew, right, not me, not mine, kind of shooting them down. And more like the other thing at the fair where you're just kind of 
taking pot shots at those little guys that come up on the um, back wall. Well, sometimes it can be like an energetic freezing things out. And if you found in your life that you have found you have freezed people out, do you know that expression? You kind of you kind of ice over someone on practice. She said, "God, I realize I'm the ice queen." Right? It's like icing. It's like ice is kind of put out. Right? Chances are we might be doing that internally as well. Icing, freezing, things don't bother us because they've frozen, as it were. Consciousness is a little hard and rigid. So all of these things we can also see and examine and wake up to when the intention of our practice to see deeply with discernment and clarity is a little bit hijacked in one moment, and n n and it will be, by our underlying tendency to aversion. Of course, it's not like suddenly there's a pure meditator sitting there, freed up from the kilesa. So, okay. One of the ways that we can look at that process of taking hold of something as me and mine, my self-image, for example, like Rob said yesterday, the thought might ar an ugly thought might arise, but then I take hold of it as meaning something about me, right? So I've got a thought of wanting to <laughs> whack a mole or just do that with someone in here. You know, someone makes a noise, and I can feel the urge to want to hit them. See the thought arise, right? But we take hold of it as meaning that it's true, that that person really is in my way, or that I'm bad. I shouldn't have that thought. That kind of taking hold there. Let's see, let's just look a little bit about how come, apart from the fact it's a habit and a pattern, but what does it serve in us to do that? rather than immediately see that it's empty. Actually, what does it give us to take hold in that moment? Now, you don't have to look at this. You don't have to go to this experience if simply things are naturally seen in any moment as not me and not mine. That we're present, we're connected, we're open, not me, not mine, is leading us to deepening levels of subtlety, of freedom, of opening. You don't go, need to go looking for trouble, right? However, in that moment that we... There's, there's going to be something, isn't there, <laughs> in the day, somewhere. It's that piece that happens, I don't know in the dining room there's no potatoes left or whatever it is. Something happens. We take hold. One of the functions that seems to serve when I, I've taken hold, so let's say everyone at Guy House is greedy, nobody cares about me, they've taken all the potatoes and I'm here at quarter two, like this is awful. We'll practice all this love and compassion and look what they're doing. They take all the potatoes, they can't even do simple etc, etc, right? 
taken hold of something, a surety, a certainty we've got in that moment. We know what's going on here. They're bad and mean, and I'm good and misunderstood, for example. Right? What that gives us is a kind of a certainty. And that certainty is based on self-images from the past. And that certainty of knowing how it is, Guy House is bad, means that I don't have to feel the sensitivity and what is touched and what might arise if I just stand there at the potatoes, the empty potatoes, standing there, breathing, and maybe I do feel some pain. And maybe those thoughts does arise, they don't care about me. But we can start to see it, we start to feel the texture of the cloth of it. Right? The sankara, the karmic formation, it is true that it is not you, it is not self. However, in the moment of clinging to it, that certainty keeps me away from feeling the sensitivity, the vulnerability, the uncertainty of existence. Right? Which can take our breath away sometimes. It's not that we have to find another position. Oh, I shouldn't think Gaia House is bad. I should now say it's good. It's just another idea. Right? Or I shouldn't have to replace it with from nobody cares about me to yes they do. That can be skillful at different times. But in the raw data of the immediacy, of breathing, of sensing, the arising of that karmic formation, the patterning in that I have taken to be me, I'll very likely feel something. Might be hurt. Might be pain. Might be anger. But those two, when we're not taking hold as me or mine, can start to be liberated also. And liberated here is the middle way. It doesn't mean we act it out, and it doesn't mean we push it back on ourselves. There's room for something to be self-liberated. So what, one of the ways we can see the liberation of all beings, we start to see that all beings aren't just like who's in Ogwell, who's in Iraq, who's in Newton Abbott, all beings are arising, can arise here. We see them. If you hang out with your own mind long enough, probably you've seen a few beings arise this last, how long have we been here? Two weeks. You've been here two weeks. I've been coming and going. If we had any certainty at the beginning that we were actually really, what would it be? I am 
I mean, it could be anything. Just think of one of... Come to the retreat and we think, I am a um, patient person. I am patient. I am. And it's, you know, it's a wholesome quality and I've seen it a lot in my life, but we hang out with our own mind long enough. Food cue, we're getting impatient. People are going too slow. They're too mindful. We want to push them out of the way. We're impatient with our own unfolding, our own journey of liberation. Oh, okay. Okay, so what does that mean about the idea that I'm a patient person? Well, I'm also an impatient person. Okay, so which one's true? Well, from the perspective of not-self, neither of them are true. It's not me, not mine, the patience, not me, not mine, the impatience. Okay, where does that leave me? Where does that leave you? And as we keep practicing, we see more and more. Not taking anything, not trying to make a foothold in anything, as I, me, and mine. One of the places it, it can open up in us, I, earlier I called it vulnerability, which usually is used in English to mean open to hurt, doesn't it? It's like I'm open to being hurt. What it really means when we sense, when we're not taking hold of something as I, me and mine, we can sense something of, we could say, we could use the, the word vulnerability to each other, to vulnerable to our depths. We're vulnerable to be impacted by what we haven't seen before. We're vulnerable to know and find out. We're able to be impacted. And this is actually good news really good news. We're able to be impacted by things we haven't seen before. New ways of looking. When Rob quoted Dogen yesterday, there's another way it's translated. Remember the, um, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be enlightened by all things. Right. also gets translated as to study the Buddha ways to study the self to study the self like to really to really know that is to forget it we see it's not me it's not mine I have to make my home there I'm adding that part so to study the Buddha ways to study the self to study the self to forget the self to forget the self is to become intimate with all things to be intimate with all things. To be intimate with all things, not just the things that you've selected. Because as soon as we select, something is rejected. To be intimate with all things. How do you like that? <laughs> Of course, our mind might run with that and go, oh my goodness, I didn't know I was signing up for that. Intimacy can be a place where a lot of us experience a lot of suffering. 
we've um, can be very ambivalent about what we think intimacy is. You know, we either want it or we want to push it away. But I think what Dogen is speaking about is something more fundamental than our normal understanding of intimacy. Where, yeah, it can be beautiful to be intimate on the level, let's say, of the body with someone can be also be horrible right but it can be somewhere where we can be attracted of course the level of the heart is a place that some people find their intimacy of being with another and resonating on the level of the heart sometimes some friendships are built around resonating on the level of the suffering of the heart Right? That can be one way people get a taste of intimacy. Or on the level of the head also, people, some people really love and enjoy, and it can be very beautiful, this intellectual intimacy. It's like really sharing the ideas and the beauty of that. And Dogen is pointing to something that is not about two things coming close together or getting closer or getting closer you know when if we're interested in in intimacy sometimes there's a sense of wanting to wanting to make the boundary go away sometimes uh, and sometimes parents experience it with children it's like you love them so much you want to eat them right which isn't really that compassionate in the end (laughs) but you you want to blur the boundary you can't bear the fact of how things appear which is that they appear like two to our eyes and our normal seeing and so we do all of the things we can and we get burned by the intimacy and we go away and it's a minefield and a beautiful field and what he's speaking to is something that is is not about having to get close it's something that is actually inevitable about ourselves as we relax, as, as the senses of self open and strip away and unburden, we find that we are intimate. It's actually closer to the truth of things. There's an inevitable intimacy here on earth as a human, with animals, with trees, with space, with... It's like, can you bear it? Can you bear just how intimate you are. The tremor of that, the sensitivity of that, the the shimmer of that. Breathing with that, that, that's one way of seeing what opens up as we practice not clinging to one thing, we realize that we're everything. It's a famous quote from Kalu Rinpoche. And, oh, old, well, he was old when he got old. I'm sure he was young at one point. 
<laughs> an old Tibetan. <laughs> of course, he was a young Tibetan at once, upon a time. The pictures of him, he looks very old. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Kalu Rinpoche, he says, We live in illusion and the appearance of things. So here's my bracket, the appearance of two. He says, We live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality. You are that reality. When you understand this, you see that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. That is all. There is a reality. You are that reality. When you understand this, you see that you are nothing. Well, no thing. You are no thing. And being no thing, you are everything. That is all. Somebody mentioned in one of the meetings the other day, realizing that she was all the things that had touched her in her life. Or another way of, another angle, another perspective on this seeing, not me, not mine, not me, not mine. As the heart opens to that and sits in that truth, actually. Is to say that we are none other than the intimacy with all the things we have dared to love. All the things I have dared to love. And as we practice, we dare to love more. We dare to love more. I haven't quite got to the compassion part yet, exactly. Maybe that, we'll see if that happens. So another thing you can look at directly, it's, this isn't esoteric, it's very practical actually. As the grip loosens, as there's more of an abiding in the kindness and the grip loosens on me and mine a little bit. that we see a bit more clearly. It's a little less fear of that thing that looked like other. Because if I can be patient and impatient and good and bad and the best and the worst, and well then, so are you. Right? You're all of it and you're none of it. And so, no problem, I can meet another one of these beings. Less fear. Less fear, have more of a sense of the measure of the cloth that we're working with. And in less fear, there's less in the way, less in the way of the naturalness of our wish to respond to life. And our wish to respond, in this case, to the suffering aspect. Again, somebody put it in an interview yesterday. Actually, really seeing the suffering of the delusion of taking things to be me and mine, seeing that in her loved ones, 
that that's the real suffering, that way something has been taken hold of. And in so doing, yes, there's the pain of contraction, and there's the pain of losing contact with the depth of what and who we are. The loss of knowing, actually. And then from that perspective, the um, compassion isn't something that someone does. And here's a, there's a very nice illustration of this from Shantideva. <coughs> there's a couple of things. He says, When acting for the benefit of others, no amazement arises in me. Just as when feeding myself, I expect nothing in return. Right? Put another way, he said, Just as we see these limbs, he's talking about his body, Just as we see these limbs as part of this body, could we not see all beings as limbs of embodied life? Just as when the hand rubs the foot, when it is injured. Just as the hand rubs the foot when it is injured, so too can the care be for other beings. Right? It's not something separate. And probably you, you've seen that impulse that is some of what motivates us. We know that on some level. But then we meet the part where we do feel separate and we get firm and consolidated. And, and when is that spot for you? Where is that spot for you where suddenly self looms really strong and, oop, not here. This doesn't, I don't see the inevitable intimacy. No, thank you. Not here, not at this spot, not when this gets triggered, not right here with this contraction. It can be interesting to find out where that is. <coughs> what kinds of things that's the level of the self-knowledge the studying the self I, I remember once um, on an outdoor retreat in France a long time ago doing standing meditation and this was a very intimate moment and very scary and profound and, and I was standing with my eyes shut in the standing meditation circle and there was this little itch on my face and after a while I realized it wasn't just, you know, unpleasant, unpleasant. It was a something on my face, some kind of animal, some kind of small thing. Couldn't see. And I was, I, I was playing at that point just to see how, what could I tolerate, what was going on, what was... And this thing was kind of moving up and down, seemed to have legs. And I was like, okay, mind, what is it, what is it, what is it? Right? I can look, I could yeah, I could look. At a certain point I found it... Um, touching my lip and some sort of hooking thingy and I could feel it's like oh my goodness it's a little spider because I could feel the gossamer thingy of its web weaving and it was starting to weave all over <laughs> <laughs> it's profoundly intimate if you're into intimacy and it's like oh god mouth Ooh, but then it moved away from my mouth because mouth you know that's the bit where you are right it's like that's where you go in kind of thing it's like okay mouth mm, not mm, mm. <laughs> okay that's tolerable mm. do they have biting spiders in france or poisonous spiders it's like, mm. it was t i could tell it was tiny it's like okay mouth i can tolerate. i had kept my mouth shut i wasn't going to invite it inside at this point um and then it moved up towards my towards my eye towards an eyelash 
And then it was like a little tug on the eyelash, and that's where self showed up big time. But that's my eye. <laughs> and it's true, I need to take care of my eyes, of course, but it didn't feel like something was dangerous was happening apart from threatening this, it's my eye, it's my eye. And this little tug on the eyelash, and then it was doing its work. Then the, the, the relaxing a little bit, and just the, 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 the immediate vulnerability of... the way the heart so touched, the way this is inevitable when we're not putting pressure on something. It's not inevitable that you have a spider web on your face, but inevitable to start to taste this intimacy which can sometimes feel like a little bit too much at first. Anybody had that going outside at night? Just... Did I tell you the Calvin and Hobbes cartoon at the beginning of the retreat? Do you know Calvin and Hobbes? It's an American cartoon. It's a little boy, he's about six, and he has a tiger. Pet stuffed toy tiger. He thinks it's a real tiger. Anyway, in this one caption, this one cartoon, he's watching telly, and his mum says, go outside and play. And he says, no. Go outside and play. He screams louder. No. Go outside and play. Finally, she has him by the scruff of the neck, outside the kitchen door, shoves him out. And he's going like that. And she said, why not? And he's standing there like this, slightly shocked, open, going, it's too big. It's too big. And something in the bigness feels extremely close. And learning to tolerate that, actually, the inevitable intimacy that our construction keeps taking us away from, actually. Hmm. Oh yeah, one thing I wanted to mention is um, I know for a number of people and most at some point is to see seeing the inner critic arising, showing its head. Um, in all kinds of ways. And one of the ways I've seen this process with the inner critic is as the uh, sense of familiar self gets threatened, the inner critic can come up stronger. Actually, it's almost like the like, let's hold this whole thing together. Don't forget you're bad. Please don't forget. And we can start to see things kind of crumbling. No, 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 don't forget. There is something you've done wrong in this world, right? It's kind of trying to kind of galvanize us back together again. Um, don't be surprised if that shows up again. Don't have to look for trouble. But it can show up. And the piece I mentioned the other night in the Buddha's story when he took his seat in the story where he has gone from his two extremes of the worldly life to the ascetic life. And then he comes to take his seat under the Bodhi tree. And I, and, I, and I talked about the determination aspect, right? I will sit here till my bones, etc. What happens next, and this might happen next for you, when we really commit and take our seat, 
that's when all the Maras come to visit. That's when the that's when the delusion, the everything that's kind of pulling us off our seat, is seen. And one of the Maras that comes right as he takes his determination is the voice that says, "Who do you think you are, sitting there, thinking you can be free? Like you, you know, this kind of scathing." Um, harsh, like somehow you're different from other people, right? Who do you think you are sitting there thinking you can be free? And with that, he reached down and touched the earth, right? And there's a gesture you sometimes see, not that one, but a gesture you sometimes see, a mudra of reaching down and touching the earth, right? It's like he's remembering in that moment something beyond just that small little self that the inner critic and the super the superego says, who do you think you are? A little guy thinking you can be free. He touches the earth and in the story the earth bears witness to his right to be there. She, the mother earth, rises up and it's told in the mythical sense of this the Naga serpent comes up behind him as with this big cobra um, cover to protect him and the the rain can't, you know this this the magnificence of the display of uh, the earth actually it's like yes you can see the, this majestic yes to his tapping in in that moment to his right to be there and we could say tapping into his lineage in that moment, the web of connection, the web of connection that he wasn't just this little guy sitting there trying to be free. You're not really just this little guy sitting there being free. We're intimately woven into a web which, intimately woven, we are that which often we forget to remember. We forget to remember our lineage of being a human. Our lineage of, perhaps you have a practice lineage, right? And a big deal is often made about these things, you know, in certain traditions. Our practice lineage, our... Um, it can also be our family, our sense of where we've come from our sense of plugging into our lineage. In that moment, he plugged into that determination which had been there for lifetimes and lifetimes and had the earth bear witness to his right to sit there. And in that moment, that judge, that inner critic, went away. He saw it and went away. He said, I see you, Mara. I see you. That too is not self. That too doesn't have ultimate reality. So if there's a moment where we're sitting on our cushion feeling like it's us that's doing it all, that I'm this little one in the garden wing at Guy House sitting here hoping to be free, there's something much more profound than that going on here. All that's ever touched you, all that's ever supported you, all that's ever taught you, 
all that you have belonged to, whether you've liked that or not. Right? Really owning and honoring that more horizontal web right, of what we are deeply embedded in right here in this room. To be able to, you know, when we're sitting there thinking it's all hard work to open up, recognize these colleagues. Yes, sure, we like them and we don't like them and we don't, whatever. All of that can arise. It's not really the most interesting thing. That's our work. That's our curriculum. But what's going on here? This web. To really honor the webs that we are embedded in. Now, the issue with that is interesting. You know, it's like when people really... I did a practice once on a course I was in where you had to come into the room and I had to say... I had to just name my female lineage and the men named their male lineage. And um, I'd never done anything like that. I'd come from the not me, not mine school. It was a little weird. Suddenly, okay, I'm Catherine Anne McGee, daughter of... And it was actually a very profound daughter of Anne... Catherine Curtin, daughter of Mary Power. I didn't know many more, but... Okay. And they all said, you know, ho or something. (laughs) 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 And it's like, oh, okay. And I could feel that there was kind of both a discomfort with it. You know, but I've got, you know, these things, questions (coughs) about that and, and, and... But there's something profound about standing firmly in your line, not to make that me and mine, not to cling to that as me and mine, which is what happens, right? We cling to family, we cling to want to push them away, we cling to want to... We cling to the groups and the subgroups we belong to, right? I'm part of the, uh, you know, local salsa group and we're the best salsa group and it's, you know, we cling to it. That's not the point, but the point is knowing where we're embedded, it's a part of helping us take our seat and really see that where that goes and how that not only supports us but brings a kind a level of meaning to our work of liberation also there's a beautiful um, poem that someone gave me from the line- the recovery lineage of the um, recovery the drugs and alcohol recovery lineage And this is called, this points to the, well, you'll see what it points to, where it takes us. It's called, We Recover on the Bones of Others. If you are here to read this, think of those who aren't. Pray for them. Good thoughts for those who lost their minds, love and years, to compulsion to addiction and fears. Think of their great sacrifice. We recover on the bones of others. Wrap your loving thoughts around them. Alone no more. If you are here and recovering, your original shining true self, a moment's silence for those driven mad by the voices and screams of disease. Disease-driven dreams. We walk from night to day on a path made of the bones of others. 
hold them tightly in your warm arms of your spirit. If you are here and attaining freedom, a thousand bows for those who didn't reach this shore and drowned in a sea of despair, suffering no more. We walk in freedom past cages made of the bones of others. They hand us the keys of desperation. Quench their burning thirst with the tears of your soul. Calm their cravings. Still their minds. Grant them peace in the dark and lonely places below and above the ground. Fill the gaping holes left by their deaths with the immensity of your love. Remember them as you sleep, remember them as you wake. Only a thought is the difference between you and the bones of others. And as we let ourselves know the size of the cloth here, as we let ourselves know what we're embedded in, the aspect of love that is responds to delusion, the delusion of taking hold, and where that goes with us, we know where that goes, into the pain of where that can go. The compassion is born of really knowing that we're not other than that. Actually, we're not other than that. So if in any moment we think we're here alone, on one level that's true, on one level there's a truth to that. But even if we take hold of that idea of alone as I and me and mine, we're missing something. We're really missing something. To sit back, rest in the web, the webs that you're in, And this is where the relationship of the wisdom and the compassion lie, right there. Right there. Seeing that we're no thing, seeing that we're everything, actually. We can't separate ourselves out from it. And it actually takes the, both the wisdom and the courage to be able to sit with our own heart's tremor of that inevitable connection, which we sometimes try and push away, to bear with the inevitability of our interconnection. Because sometimes what we touch when that sensitivity starts to open up, and we will all touch this 
at different places on the path, at the beginning, in the middle, ongoingly. Sometimes our own hurt, our own pain, the own way that our own way that we've had to shrink away from existence. But that's and that's beautiful and important part of the work. And as we stay with that and willing to do that work, it also takes us further, deeper into the heart of compassion, which is completely intimate with the suffering without becoming it. Completely intimate without being defined by. And that's something incredibly profound, which we're in the journey of, of discovering. We're in the journey, journey of knowing again. Which, in, which is both a cultivation, but like the metta, is also something that is quite natural to us as we shed, as we understand more of this wisdom aspect. One of the things that is revealed is what is called in the Tibetan tradition the jewel in the heart of the lotus, the jewel of compassion. So I want to finish um, with... A verse, a couple of verses from Shantideva. This is from the uh, Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life. The Bodhisattva, the one who's practicing to see clearly for the benefit of all beings. Extracts. And it doesn't mean you have to go here, but it's it may, it may or may not touch you. It may or may not be where you are. It's not about trying to be somewhere else. But just see where this resonates or not for you. I am medicine for the sick and weary. May I be their physician and their nurse until disease appears no more. May I strike down the anguish of thirst and hunger with rains of food and drink. May I be food and drink to them in famine and disaster. May I be an inexhaustible treasure for those in need. May I be their servant to give them what they need. My body, my pleasure, my merit, now and forever. I cast them aside to accomplish this aim for all beings. May I be a protector for the unprotected, a guide for wanderers, a boat, a bridge, a causeway for those who desire the other shore, a lamp for those who need a lamp, a bed for those who need a bed. And may I be a wishing gem, an inexhaustible vase, a magic spell, a great medicine, a wish-fulfilling tree, a cow of plenty for all beings, as the elements of earth and water and fire and air are for the use of all beings who dwell in all of space. In many ways, may I be the means of sustenance for the realm of beings in all of space until I have passed into liberation. And by my merit, may the blind see and the deaf hear and the fearful cease to tremble, the afflicted be consoled and the weary be made content. May the sick be made whole again, those in bondage freed, and as long as the earth and sky shall last, may I remain here to heal the sorrows of the world. As long as the earth and sky shall last, 
May I remain here to heal the sorrows of the world. So let's sit together for a minute. If you like to join in the compassion chant for a minute or two, let's do that. Breathe with whatever is in your heart right now. Both not me, not mine. And where that points us. Or where it points you, actually. Padme Hum 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 Hum
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.